And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. And we welcome everybody in once again to the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Hope you've been doing well. <laughs> in these rather turbulent times, it's been anything but boring. He is J.C. Sherbert. Speaking of anything but boring of 24-7 Sports and TheBigSpur.com. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network, and we've got a lot to discuss. Uh, I'm uh, coming to you from SEC, ACC country, where we still have the hopes of playing college football in the fall. JC, you were in the Windy City, Big Ten country, ah. where after releasing a schedule just a few days ago, they have decided to declare a season unsafe and, uh, and tell you to look forward to spring football. And much like everything else the Big Ten does, the Pac-12 just fell right in line. And that has made for a very entertaining 72 hours. I mean, I guess this really started on Saturday in some respects. And here we are as we record this now. It's a Wednesday. And um, we're not all the way done yet. But, uh, but, but basically, the, the lines have been carved in the sand, right? I mean, we, we, we now know... Uh, what we're dealing with. And for years and years, people have said we're a a nation divided. Well, as a collective unit, college football is officially a sport divided. We've got the Big Ten and the Pac-12 doing their thing. And we've got the SEC, the ACC, and yes, the Big 12, who had been kind of Switzerland throughout this whole thing until they uh, kind of chose a side, if you will. Uh, And don't underestimate Mike Oresco, by the way, in the American, because they are in. And they, they're chopping at the bit because there's, there's quality programs in that league, like a UCF, Cincinnati, Navy, Memphis, Houston, that could certainly stand to benefit from the way all this is going down. We'll touch on all those things. What does it all mean? JC and I will get into that. How did we get here? JC and I will get into that and maybe touch upon, as we have a number of times, how this has all been covered for you, the college football fan who are relying, you know, essentially – in a lot of cases on the same, I don't know, half a dozen national writers. And then, you know, JC, you're a 24 seven sports. So all, all your think tank, I guess, has a separate win yeah. for every school, whether it's big spur or what's the Ohio state one call. It's my favorite name. Lug nuts. Lug. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's that one. So, I mean, you all have got um, people covering the situation and, and with opinions and then you've got local sports talk radio. And then, of course, you've got politicians that can't seem to uh, stay out of this as well. So we'll, we'll touch upon all those things on what is going to be. And I'm not one for overstating things. I'm not one for hyperbole. This is going to be a time frame in college athletics that we, you and I are going to be talking about. If we're fortunate enough to live, we're both now, what, in our 40s? Uh, if we're fortunate enough to live uh, in our 70s, 80s, or beyond, we're still going to look back at 2020, not just because of the pandemic, that's, that's obvious, uh, but specifically what has happened in college athletics. So with all that said, to set up the table, welcome everybody, J.C. Sherbert. All right, yeah, you know, and first of all, I want everybody to know, clearly I want there to be college football this year, and I think – Anybody who's on any side of the argument should want that. Uh, unfortunately, I think there are some people out there who are fans of the sport who 
you know, believe if there's not college football, somehow society is going to get better, but that's a different topic. And I don't understand that line of thinking. Um, so clearly I want there to be college football, but, but here's the thing, Mike, if there were proof out there, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that was front and center that said, all right, if college football is going to be played, these players are at extreme risk for their health. Okay. Uh, and here's why I would say, shut it down. It's not worth one life. You know, all the money that's made with college athletics, all the, all the businesses that it supports and then the economic impact, it's not worth one life to me. as far as my worldview goes. And if I had proof of that, that there was just a high probability that, um, that that would happen um, from the medical teams or wherever, and it was a consensus, I'd just be like, well, shut it down. That's unfortunate. Hopefully uh, as time moves on, there'll be a way to get back on the field. That is not the case. That is not the case. The, the, the Big Ten had a old country buffet type of different selections on their smorgasbord as to why not, and, and none of them were the real thing. I mean, you're expecting a carving station and you're getting a day old boiled ham. You know, I mean, I thought it was pathetic because, you know, and then you see all these other reports. I saw a report today from a a Michigan insider, Michael Spath, who I've known for years, very connected at Michigan. The quote he got from Michigan was, oh, yeah, well, six or seven schools could have played. But the other six or seven schools, you know, didn't have the testing capability. So everybody had to shut it down. I'm sorry, that's horse manure. You know, if those six or seven schools can't play, if Rutgers can't play, you, you let the other guys play. I mean, you, you don't all shut it down, uh, in my opinion. And, you know, I think that it's fundamental that these college programs do have massive testing protocols anyway. They're not going to be able to play anyway if they don't. To me, that's fundamental. And, and I thought that's what's happening. So, so you hear that. You hear Warren talk about, well, it's just not safe. There's the uh, Mayo – I'm saying this slow because I've mispronounced it 16 times today. Myocarditis, which is a not so common, uh, kind of a rare thing that happens when you contract a virus, not just coronavirus, a virus, uh, where it kind of messes up your heart. I know a lot of players over the years that have contacted this, Mike, that have had to shut it down in redshirt. You know, and people go, ooh, heart problems. You know, this guy, you know, inflamed walls of the heart and you know, then these guys come back and you're always kind of worried about them in the back of your mind. Well, this is a common thing that people get over. It can be treated. It's not a death sentence. It's not uh, congestive heart failure. Nor is it um, specific to, uh, to, to the coronavirus. This no, is yeah, yeah. going on for years and years. So and, this is nothing new. And so you read about this and you're like, well, some of these players have gotten this. Therefore, we do not know the you know the the long-term impacts of coronavirus and i'm like well this is not supposed to be a long-term thing this is a known thing big 12 acc sec have realized this and they very smartly and wisely put in extra heart screening for all their players that have tested positive um they have a robust heart testing deal as it is because you're you're dealing with some guys sometimes that you know have that deal you know people have died playing sports they remember hank gathers you know that kind. Of, that's that's probably one of the more prominent situations uh, when he died and collapsed on the court because of an undetected heart thing. People are very serious about that, and if you're not serious about that, you shouldn't even be having football pandemic or no. You know, so 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 I'm not really buying that 
as this thing. I think that Ray Anderson, and I'm, I hope I'm, I hope that's the guy that, that we, uh, that, that I'm quoting correctly. Uh, his quote uh, was Ray Anderson, by the way, the AD, the, sorry, AD at Arizona state. Um, he said that there's overwhelming evidence of massive unknowns. <laughs> and, um, you know, to that, I say, well, unknowns to me are not a reason to shut anything down. And right. I think we could all wake up every day and I'm not one of these, Oh, you can die. Go into the store people. I do think we have to take precautions and be safe. But to me, overwhelming evidence of massive unknowns is not a reason to cancel the season. Uh, you know, other things that are, that are not, and I'll say this quickly, that are not reasons to cancel the season. You know, the fact that it, you don't feel like it's fair or just that athletes are getting tested while you think that maybe other people somewhere are having trouble getting a hold of tests. Now, I have no idea. I mean, I have no doubt that in some places testing is difficult, but, it, but it's, it's anecdotal. It's not a massive deal. Like some people will leave you, you lead you to believe. And, um, you know, it, that's not a reason to shut down college football at all. I, I don't think the societal reasons, like Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, said the other day, whatever the hell those are, you know, that's not a reason to shut it down. Um, you know, so 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 all these reasons I continue to, to examine, you know, I, I just haven't had that one that says, hey, you need to shut it down. And, and, and I, no. apparently the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 agree with me. Well, uh, yeah, and so do – Massive amounts of players, coaches, fans, and and fair-minded, objective people. So you're you're far from an island on that. Although sometimes the um, there are certain people out there with loud voices that want to make you think you're on an island and want to make you think uh, that you're irresponsible or callous in your thought process. That goes on a lot. I, I there's there's a there's more hypocrisy going on right now than there's enough to fit in this podcast. It's, it's awfully ironic that the media who have been pumping the absolute worst case uh, scenarios for having a fall college football uh, season are so optimistic now about spring. I mean, do you really believe that spring football is going to happen in the big 10 and the PAC 12? You really believe that you, you really believe that all of a sudden, all the things that you supposedly are concerned about now are going to be different in the spring. No. Um, the, the, the data is on the side of college football on this for, for a number of people. And that's not just a, it's not a fan's perspective. There are a lot of medical professionals that will tell you that. And, and my thing is because the SEC, the big 12 and the ACC all have the same uh, qualified medical people giving their think tank uh, their objective viewpoints on whether or not it's safe to play or not to play. What information came down for the PAC 12 or the big 10 that was so earth shattering that you're going to do an about face within 72 hours of releasing a schedule. What is it that you, that you unearthed that is so big? Is it simply a matter of liability where if you find out some kid 20 years from now has issues uh, that he could somehow link to COVID or at least a lawyer could somehow make that, that, that leap that you're worried about being sued and not being covered because they're not going to be waivers. That much I have heard from a, a number of people uh, from an administrative side, you're, you're not going to get all these players to sign waivers. Okay. Uh, that doesn't mean that you're going to be legally bound. And, and the other thing is if you're so worried about football players 
How in the hell do you have no problem? And by the way, this this uh, decision by the Big Ten came shortly after tuition dollars were pumped into the coffers of Big Ten schools because we know students are going to be on campus. So if you're so worried and paranoid about football players who already kind of operate in a semi-bubble world on college campuses, for those of you who've been on college campuses, you know there is an area where football players typically flock. They take the same classes. They take the same online classes. They live in the same quarters. They hang out in the same places. They all, there already is a semi kind of bubble. But you're, so you're not concerned about the student body, which doesn't have access to testing, doesn't have access to doctors, doesn't have access to epidemiologists, any of those things, uh, doesn't have the organization of – of football players and football teams that again live in kind of a semi bubble as it is, they're okay, but we can't play football. And if you're Barry Alvarez, it's okay to work them like dogs during practice during this entire time, but they can't play games. I mean, there's just so much stuff that doesn't add up. And, and, and look, the pink elephant in the room, and I don't want to go down this road because I, I've, I've, I feel like I've managed to stay political free on this subject uh, as much as humanly possible. But I, I know a lot of people have made the connection. You look at a map and you see red state, blue state. And you see which teams and which conferences are playing or wanting to play and which don't. And, uh, it's only natural that people are going to – some people are going to go down that, that road and, that, and, and draw that conclusion. I get it. But let me just throw, for example, a, a definitely a left-wing guy, and I know Rick Neuheisel – uh, enough to say that without him being insulted. I've been on his show a number of times on Sirius XM. Good guy. Uh, he's, he's applauded, for example, the PAC 12 players for being activists. He believes that there's nothing bad with that. I mean, he, he is definitely a blue state guy in a lot of ways, but he's the first one on his show today. Uh, and I'll give him a little plug, uh, uh, first team with, uh, our buddy, Chris Childers. He said, look, quote, I'd say they should play because you haven't proven anything to me that says they are less safe by playing football. And isn't that, isn't that relevant? I don't hear that enough. I don't hear that enough at all. It's like this, this humongous detail that is conveniently ignored that those, by those who want to shut football down. There has been nothing that has been proven that says they are less safe by playing football. Now, if you can guarantee any faction of society that they're going to stay locked down in their house for the next 12 months, then you could probably draw the conclusion there's going to be a less chance that they contract the coronavirus. I think we can all agree on that. What we know is that's not reality. What we know is the moment these kids started arriving on campus and finally got tested, many of them tested positive. In other words, they were asymptomatic and most importantly, and let me bold this, underline it, highlight it. I've already said it a dozen times. I'll say it again. They contracted the virus not playing football, not being on campus, not in a organized weight room at the athletic department. Most of the numbers have gone down. Chip Kelly was on a show today. He says, we haven't had a positive test since July 7th. It's August 12th. All these schools that had high numbers when they arrived on campus are either at zero or next to zero. The percentage of positive tests is now minuscule among football players who have been on campus. 
and the amount that have been hospitalized is zero. How do I know that? Because if it was so many as one, it would lead every national headline out there and would feed the narrative of the people that want the season canceled. So all these things just get somehow kind of lost in the discussion. And we just start focusing on other things out there. And we, we don't use a whole lot of logic. And I, I realize this is not a pure logical play. Uh, we are dealing with human beings and, and not cars on an assembly line. But to your point, JC, and I think it goes for the people that run the sport. If they really thought it was a, 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 a very risky situation where lives were at stake and serious health conditions uh, would be altered uh, uh, forever in these young men's life, then they wouldn't play. And let's not forget the people that are at the most risk in, in football are not the athletes. It's the much older coaches. We have coaches in their 50s, 60s, 70 that are out there that are much more high risk. We have assistant coaches that are older. We have trainers. We, all these people are in. Oh, by the way, you, you had a number of athletes, high-profile athletes, like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, the most automatic of automatic first-round draft picks, who could play zero games and still be multimillionaires and top 10 picks. And they, to their credit, you want to talk about true activism. I don't know if this falls under the being woke category, but I was impressed. They actually formulated a union. They mobilized in, a, in a less than 24 hours and, and had a bunch of players basically start a hashtag movement that we want to play. And obviously that fell on deaf ears for the Big Ten and the Pac-12. I'll let you respond to that, and then I'm going to go down um, a little bit of an information road on, on the leadership that we have right now in the sport. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just say this: you you look at the Big Twelve or the Big sorry, the Big Ten's footprint. State of New Jersey obviously got hit really hard with uh, COVID. You still have the governor in that state taking uh, Joe Piscopo in his gym, or his gym's connected to Joe Piscopo somehow, and you're going to court. And so you hear about that all the time. Draconian, I would call those draconian lockdown measures. Maryland uh, has a red governor; it's a blue state. Very bad lockdown there. Ohio. Is a red state, swing state, red governor, but he's had some of the tightest lockdowns in the country. And, and I think a lot of this maybe goes even beyond politics. It has to do sometimes with directors of public health that get power hungry or whatever. Uh, the governor of Pennsylvania and his director of public health are some of the two of the worst in the country. Michigan and it's probably the absolute worst. Uh, their governor decided that you couldn't buy paint during the lockdown. Um, she's still trying to run a 75-year-old barber out of business. Um, Illinois, uh, obviously, I'm familiar with that. Uh, you know, he just straight up came out and said one month into this thing, nobody's going back to normal till they find a vaccine, which is not what anybody was told. Uh, and then you look at Iowa and Nebraska, who were allegedly the two that wanted to play. They're not only red states. And Iowa is a swing state to a certain extent. But they, they also haven't had as many cases as these other states. You know, so so I think a lot of times, I mean, you're telling me Iowa State can play, but Iowa cannot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that half the Cyhawk trophy can play. Right. So, so you know, and look, I, I'm not saying that politics directly had anything to do with this. Um, you know, and of course, out West, you know, they're mostly blue states as well with blue, you know, Democratic governors that, that are also are big time locked. They're part of the lockdown brigade. Um, 
you know, it may just be that, you know, there are certain states that culturally have taken a more cautious approach with this for whatever reason. Um, I'm hard pressed to say, looking at the numbers of cases and, you know, the, the, the fruitfulness of some of these measures that they're, you know, saving lives, so to speak. But um, uh, because if you compare the, the deaths and stuff like that, I don't know, you know, but um, I, I just think that maybe and, and this leads into your, your talk about leadership that, you know, there is a there there were some leadership calls made probably beyond um, at least at the at least the buck stopped at the presidential level in terms of colleges, but maybe even beyond that, you know, that caused this vote for both of these conferences to go this way. And let me just say this to uh, to, to add a little bit to because everything you said is is spot on. But I, I have Democratic friends who want to play football and think it should be played. Sure, me too. I have a Republican friend who's a father and is is very concerned and has his doubts. So it's not strictly no. along party lines, but unfortunately, uh, politicians have weighed in. The president has weighed in. You've got talking heads going on and um, making political plays on this and and to, to fit their agenda. I mean, it's just it's unavoidable. It's it's where we are. It, like I started off this podcast. Um, and this goes beyond the last four years, by the way, we've been a divided nation for, if you haven't been paying attention, this didn't start in 2016. Um, this has been going on for a while. And I've only, again, I'm, uh, I consider myself in a lot of ways apolitical, but I, I've only started paying attention to it, if you will, for the last 20 years or so. Uh, this has been a divided country for, all you have to do is look at every November, yeah. every four years in November, and look at how the votes stack up. It's a divided nation. Yeah, uh, some are more, you know, polarizing than others. Yeah, we're in a more divided time now than we were. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. yeah, there's just now it's like it's tribalism at its at its grandest. And I've always thought one of the things I love about being in the profession we're in is that we can avoid it. But there are some people that don't want you to avoid it. Sure, they're they're not only going to. Uh, be incredibly vociferous about it and and everything that they they there's they're technically they work in sports that's their hook but really what they're trying to do is find an excuse to get their political thoughts into every tweet every story every soundbite they just can't help themselves and so you for a lot of people and this is where i feel bad about the average person like me, who has always viewed sports as a way to get away from that. Uh, You know, I can watch the news at night like everybody else, and I can go online and read stuff. I follow people from both sides. I get both sides. It's fine. I'm not in the dark about anything. Trust me. That doesn't mean I need it in my sports. Uh, and, And I don't need you to tell me that I'm wrong for wanting to just have a little break from it. I'm more than more than confident and happy to tell you I'm I'm okay with that and I'm okay with my viewpoint on that, but it's harder and harder for the average fan out there that does look for a, a breakaway or relief from it when when the, when they view this story and they're just trying to get news, just trying to be informed. Yeah, and and everything they get, and I'm not going to mention the names. You know who they are. <laughs> it's you know you're on Twitter and you're like, oh, it's him again. Up, oh, it's same take. What what prism is he seeing through this whole thing through? Yep, you got it. I, you you can connect the dots. I don't need to do it for you. 
Uh, so I, I feel badly about that, but that's just where we are in the way it's covered. A, a guy from the NFL Network, I'm not even that familiar with him. He hosts a, a morning show, like a Good Morning Football, Get Up Football, something like that. Good Morning Football. Good Morning. I, I might not be joking on that. Might actually be it. Good Morning Football. And anyway, you can look it up. I'm sure a lot of you saw this. This was like two, three weeks ago on Twitter, and he said. You know, it's really hard for me to understand. He's, by the way, he's not a hardline guy. He's kind of a funny guy. I've seen him interviewed before. Kind of a lighthearted, funny guy. And he goes, you know, it's it's hard for me to understand how so many people in my business are obviously rooting for football to be canceled. Mm-hmm. And this came on the heels. Remember when the Marlins, uh, early, in the first week of the Major League Baseball season, the Marlins had the outbreak. Right? You had yeah. some players that went out, yeah. did something stupid. And sure enough, they got it and spread it to their teammates. And immediately, the same crowd that you know, that you can predict what their thoughts are in virtually every take on college football. Ah, I told you, should have been. this was the stupidest idea ever. It's never going to work. They're going to fall flat on their face, cancel the season, cancel football, cancel this, cancel that. Well, baseball's still going. And look, it had flawless. And it will not be flawless. But they are still going. And they don't have a bubble. And they don't have the ability to separate games by six, seven days. They play every single stinking day, and sometimes they play twice a day. But by golly, they're going to figure out a way to get it done. Uh, But he, the guy I'm talking about, said he used the term "rooting," and here's where I. And then I'm going to get off this because I'm tired of talking about people uh, that cover the sport. I want to talk more about the sport. Unfortunately, it's been exposed. A lot of people have been exposed in this. Um how they view their, their role as reporters, as journalists. I w- so he got hammered. I'm not rooting for the end. Just because I'm speaking my, my, the, my opinion doesn't mean I'm rooting for it. I realize my job depends on football and da-da-da-da. Where he went wrong was saying rooting. I don't think they're rooting for it. I, don't, I, don't, I think most people. Some, that's another story particularly if you feel that secure in your, your job yeah. and you can just sit there and, and do everything based on a, I hate this politician and this will make him look bad. And therefore I hope a number thousands of people lose their jobs and people suffer just so I can be uh, uh, fulfilled on my political appetite. I think where he went wrong was using the term rooting. What I would have used the term if I were him is a number of people truly believe that there should not be a season. Their opinion in their heart of hearts is this whole idea of playing is stupid. It's reckless. It's self-serving for the people that run it. And I don't like it. I just don't. And they're stopping their feet like a child who didn't get cake at the birthday party because the last piece was taken. I don't like it. I don't want a season. I don't like it. That's how they see it. And so every bit of news that has come down the pike now for the last five months, they are that child that didn't get the last piece of cake at the eight-year-old birthday party, stomping their feet, and they want you to know they don't like it. There shouldn't be a season in their eyes for reasons X, Y, and Z. And that's what so much the way of this has been covered by a lot of people. Not all. I can give you 20 people. Uh, that are that are on a national scale uh, look at this a different way. 
but I can give you a lot more that look at it that way. And that's what you've had to deal with. So uh, just, just as long as we know that now, I think if anything, if there's one thing that's positive, like I said, you now know where you're getting your, your news from yeah, and how it's viewed. And these are the same people that, again, think inherently a college football is a bad thing because these kids are exploited. They are, they are out there and they're producing millions. Let's not go back down that pike because we, we went off on that tangent last yeah. week. I don't, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But that's, that's the way they look at it. And so naturally, every story that comes down in, in that realm, again, it's all student athletes are victims. And the people that are profiting, they, they are just – they're like slumlords. The coaches yeah. are slumlords. The ADs are slumlords. Everybody involved is a slumlord. The college athlete is the exploited kid who barely has enough money to buy a pizza or take his girlfriend to the movies. It, it doesn't matter if it's wrong. That's the way they see it, and that's the way they want you to believe it. Okay, I've teased this now long enough. Uh, leadership, JC. You know, we had Tim Brando on a while ago. Yes. And, and he keeps well, banging the drum for a czar, and he's right. He's been a prophet. He has. He's, 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 he's been a, a welcome uh, breath of fresh air. Our buddy Cole Kublik, who we've had on, a welcome breath of fresh air, um, and, and some others out there. But the fact of the matter is we're no closer to having a czar. So I agree with Tim on that. But if anything, we've noticed you can't even get the five power five commissioners to agree on, on anything. So to say that the all of a sudden we're going to have a czar – well, who's going to hire that czar just seems to me like that we're, we're not anywhere close to having that. And by the way, if you're still, ba- if you're in the media, even if college football is not your thing, but you're banging the drum about Mark Emmert needs to show more leadership. You're so lo- like you're in the wilderness. You're in the wrong forest. Yeah. Mark Emmert has nothing to do with college football. He is powerless. If you haven't figured that out yet, you need a roadmap. He's, he runs, he controls that CBS Turner contract with the NCAA basketball tournament, which provides billions with a B dollars. And that provides the 88 or so sports, their championship infrastructure and everything else. And of course, March madness, he has nothing to do with col- with big time college football. So uh, waiting for a quote from him, what's he going to do? Hi, I'm Mark Emmerich. Here's my idea. P.S. I'm powerless and nobody cares what I say, but I'll be back with another report in 48 hours. Nobody cares. So stop, Stop banging them. I know it's so cool and hip to bang the NCAA, but in the case of Mark Emmert, who I'm not a fan of either, he, he has nothing to do with this. There's nothing to do with this. The, 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 he's not in the room. He's not at the table. So move on from, from, that, from that dialogue uh, or monologue or whatever the case may be because it's, it's not even – it just doesn't apply. We, don't, we do know who does control college football, the conference commissioners, Right. Yeah. In particular, and, and the president. Yeah, yeah. And the presidents. Yeah. And, and that's a good point because the presidents, and I put this on Twitter uh, a few weeks ago, school presidents greater than sign school ADs. And I think we've learned that too. The school presidents do trump the ADs in the decision-making process, but you know what? School presidents are, are not epidemiologists either nor do they typically know a ton about how to run big-time college athletics. So they lean on AD on uh, conference commissioners and ADs. So conference commissioners are important in this. So they, the, the, those five guys, you know, the five families, we've made the mafia joke, which has been <sighs> now uh, duplicated a thousand times. 
they what they say matters. What their their opinion and when they're influencing others, uh, it does matter. So let's go over. I went and I had to do a deep dive on a couple of these guys, JC. I, you know, I know who they all are by name, but I didn't know all their backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So I do I do know Greg Sankey's. Okay, the SEC, and you might say he's the most powerful man in college football in some respects. So, so what did what did uh, Greg Sankey do to get to where he is now, being the commissioner, the most powerful, the most successful uh, conference in college athletics? Well, uh, he was the commissioner of the Southland Conference for seven years. So right away, you're paying your dues in a smaller league. Then he's hired by Mike Slive, the commissioner of the SEC time uh, at the time in March of 2012. And one of the things he was uh, asked to do at that point uh, was basically to, to mitigate some of the, the damage that was going on. Remember back in, in, uh, in 2002, and 2002 is what I meant to say, not 2012. Uh, back in 2002, when he was hired by the SEC from the South End Conference, Alabama and Kentucky were both on probation. The NCAA enforcement staff was investigating violations at Auburn, Arkansas, and Mississippi State. That was 18 years ago. The SEC was getting a bad rap, right? Mm. It, I mean, it was like probation you in some ways. And so they, they brought in Greg Sankey to help clean that up and, and to help get rid of a lot of that. And he worked under what a lot, who a lot of people would say was a, a very successful commissioner in Mike Slive. So he's got seven years at the Southland. Then he comes to the SEC, he's 10 more years under Mike Slive before he gets the job as SEC commissioner. So decades of, of campus time and, and administrative time at the college, big-time collegiate level, right? All right, John Swafford, ACC. Uh, and this, of course, is his swan song. Uh, he replaced Gene Corrigan, longtime conference commissioner. He played basketball at uh, uh, North Carolina, or he was an AD at North Carolina. Uh, in July 1 of 1997, Swafford was named the fourth commissioner of the ACC. Uh, he also was the chairman of the <clears throat> Bowl Championship Series in college football back in 2000-2001. He was the guy that uh, was basically instrumental in the ACC going from nine teams to 15 teams. Uh, he was instrumental in starting the ACC Big Ten Challenge. He was instrumental in launching the ACC Network. You get it. This guy paid his dues both at an ACC school administration, uh, was on committees. He's been around college athletics for decades. Bob Bowlesby, Big 12, AD for decades at three different schools, including Iowa and Stanford, on the ground. He was then the commissioner. Remember, the Big 12 was the Titanic and was sinking. He came in shortly thereafter uh, and and helped heal the wounds and help bring in two other schools and help get the big 12 back on solid ground. But again, he didn't just get the job because he, you know, he opened up a a cereal box and it was in one of those little pieces of plastic right near the temporary tattoo and the, and the uh, mood ring. It said, Hey, you're now going to be a conference commissioner of a power five. He paid his dues. Then you have, so those are the, the three, by the way, the three conferences that are playing football. These are the two that are not Larry Scott. Now I had to, I, I had to do a deep dive into where Larry Scott came from. Did I honestly, he, did you know, he makes $4 million a year. Yeah. Well, the, these guys are all making millions. Jeez. Uh, Four though. Mean, Come on, man. Well, I, I don't know what Kevin Warren makes, but it, it's seven figures. I can tell you that. <clears throat> uh, and we'll get to him in a second. Larry Scott succeeded Tom Hansen 
as the sixth commissioner of what was then the PAC-10 back in 2009. Before that, he served for six years at the uh, the chairman and CEO of the Sony Erickson Women's Tennis Association. So the, the job that led him to the PAC-12, to being a commissioner of a Power 5 league, he worked with the Women's, Women's Tennis Association, worked with Billie Jean King, to achieve the long-sought goal of equal prize money for women. Uh, he's a former tennis player himself. Went to Harvard. Played, did you know he played for the Harvard men's tennis team, JC? I didn't know that. Go Crimson. Yeah, he was, a, he was an All-American. Earned a BA in history. <laughs> That's not an elitist sport to play, yeah. is it, Mike? You know, like, if you say, I played tennis at Harvard. I mean, isn't that, yes. isn't that a, oh, hello, old boy. Oh, yes, uh, let's well, Croquet was not offering scholarships. At knock the, the old yellow ball around. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I didn't yeah. know that. That's so, I, I didn't know. I mean, I just assumed when I went through these bios that I was going to see, well, Larry Scott, you know, he was the AD at a, uh, a mid-major, and then maybe he was an associate conference commissioner of the Pac-12 before he became the commissioner. I really didn't know. I, I, I know who he is. I know what he's done. I know what he hasn't done. But I, I didn't know much more than that. So basically his whole background was in tennis um, and was never an AD, associate AD, um, conference commissioner, associate conference commissioner, nothing. That's Larry Scott's background. And then there's Kevin Warren. And I really had to do a deep dive on Kevin Warren. So I didn't know much of anything about Kevin Warren, to be honest with you. So here's what I found. And this, this guy who replaced Jim Delaney. And Jim Delaney was one of the most powerful, successful. When you look at the Big Ten and all the success they have and all the money they bring in and the Big Ten network and everything, it's a terrific league with great fans, great programs, Great history, great tradition. It's really hard to screw up the Big Ten. And you got to really work at it. Uh, so he replaces Jim Delaney. It's his first year on the job. He played basketball at Grand Canyon University. Are they the Antelopes, I believe? We'll have to look that up. GCU, baby, played basketball at Grand Canyon. He was a lawyer and a front office man for the Minnesota Vikings. In fact, from 1990 to 1997, he was a lawyer. His, his background is in litigation. So he has virtually zero background in college football and less background in the Big Ten. Uh, again, never a conference commissioner, never an associate conference commissioner, never an AD, never an associate AD, and really just no campus experience to name of. But that's who the Big Ten went with. So you, you look at it, and by the way, if you saw the Kevin Warren interview on the Big Ten Network, with uh, Dave Refson. I mean, I, I honestly, I felt bad for, for Mr. Warren. Uh, he, he looked like he was surprised at the questions. Um, I, I don't know what he was looking for in the way of questioning, but he just looked very surprised, very defensive, uh, and not the least bit informative on, on a, obviously a pretty important matter. Like you're the, you're the first guy, the history books will show you were the first conference commissioner in the power five, to cancel football. Uh, and you did so against the wishes of a number of ADs, head coaches, players, fans, uh, not to mention a couple of presidents. Now, look, to be fair to Kevin Warren and to Larry Scott, what we'll never know is just how powerful the school presidents in those particular leagues are and were in this thought process. For all we know, 
they could have said, Hey, look, Larry, Kevin, uh, you go out there and you make your little speech and you say you made the decision, but we're telling you this is what's going to happen. Yeah. We don't know that. We don't know that. But again, you're a conference commissioner. If your background is in the sport and you've been doing this for a while, you got some street cred going for you. So when Greg Sankey goes in a room or on a conference call with, with 14 school presidents, I, I guarantee you they're going to listen to what he has to say. And they're going to put stock in what he has to say and the way he says it. Same thing with Swafford. Same thing with Bowlesby. I don't know, and we'll probably, again, never know, what, was, what were those conversations like with the presidents and these conference commissioners. But it, it will, when you just look at it, I was amazed the differences in backgrounds. You've got Sankey, Swafford, and Bowlesby. These are guys that have spent their better part of their lives in terms of leading college athletics. And then you've got one guy who is uh, a former tennis player who worked with the WTA. And you've got another guy who's a, a very bright lawyer who was a front office man for the Minnesota Vikings. And I'll, I, and I, look, I know who Bobby Carpenter is. I know he's very passionate. He's a Penn State alum. Uh, he works for ESPN <clears throat> and, uh, and I think does a good job on air. Uh, I believe he's got uh, children that play football. And I don't know where all this is coming from, but this is what he was <laughs> we're talking about passionate. This is yesterday. First, he put a picture of Kevin Warren on his Twitter and he said the face of a shameless self-promoter. Now, in the back of Kevin Warren's Zoom call, wow. you've got like five articles, New York Times, and I'm not going to hold that against him. You know, we all got our man cave and little things, but <laughs> but that was on the background of his of his Zoom call. Um, and then he and then he followed it up with the more I talk to people in the NFL, and again, Bobby did play in the NFL, first round draft pick of the Cowboys. The more I talk to people in the NFL, the more I hear about how fast teams wanted to get rid of Warren because he lied about accomplishments and was terrible in his job. Ouch. Uh, there is a major, major uh, backlash from Big Ten fans about Kevin Warren, and a lot of them asking the simple question, how in the world would this have happened if we had Jim Delaney as the leader of our conference? Again, fairly or unfairly, that's what's being thrown out there in Big Ten country. Yeah, I just, you know, I agree. I think Warren, I mean, and he was in a tough position because I, I tend to still believe the school presidents, you know, are, are the ones that make the decision. And I, and I think that what's interesting about it is that maybe there's some that are, you would think that were more powerful than others that really aren't uh, in that particular league. I mean, the Big Ten's always sort of been uh, different than everybody else. I mean, if you think about that, and then the Pac-12 is like their little sister, and I'm going to continue to say little sister until they turn things around out there. Um, they, because uh, they do everything the big brother wants to do. Um, keep in mind, these are the two leagues that for the first hundred years of college football refused to cooperate with there being a national champion crowd because they wanted the Rose Bowl. <laughs> keep in mind that these two leagues previously have not have gone their own way. Um, you also have to keep in mind about this, that the big 10 is a, not only a, uh, an alliance in athletics, uh, 
for years, they had the Big Ten Alliance in academics, which included uh, the University of Chicago uh, for a while, and they may have gotten out, and they, they may, may still have that academic alliance. Um, you know, one of the reasons that, that they say that they've never invited Notre Dame, which you may or may not want to buy, is because Notre Dame's not a member of, um, what is it, the, the, the AAU, American Association of Universities, um, and Notre Dame may have gotten membership. This was back for you Notre Dame fans listening that say, oh, well, they're in now. You know, this was back a few years back where they said Notre Dame, which is, you know, ironically where Kevin Warren got his law degree, uh, which I think is one of the better schools in the country. You know, they didn't fit the Big Ten's academic profile. Um, it's a bunch of large state-supported research grant, land-grant institutions located primarily in the Midwest. They're all, they're all similar schools. Um, and they've always had kind of a little bit of a, a snobbishness about them. And, and, and I think when the Ivy League, you know, said we're not doing football, uh, I didn't know, I didn't think all the conferences would sit there and go, oh, we should listen. But what I did think was the Big Ten, if anybody, will try to follow their lead. And, and that's the case. So, you know, uh, just looking at it, I, I think that, you know, Warren's probably in a tough position. But when, you, when you're in troubled waters like this, Mike, you know, you want a leader that's got some experience, um, especially with, the, with understanding the ramifications of what you're doing. I mean, you, you know, I, I don't know that Kevin Warren understood or, or that the president at Penn State or Illinois understood the impact this had in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, you know, and, and, and I think that there's more of a tendency for people that aren't familiar, you know, with, with, with what this means, you know, in certain communities uh, tend to be the ones that, that play the it's just football card uh, and all that. Keep in mind, too, the Big Ten's got a ton of money. I mean, you know, I, I think the Pac-12 is going to be in some financial difficulty, but all these schools are, you know, relatively rich athletically. I mean, if you look at budgets and things like that, you know, so maybe they think they could survive the hit. Maybe that they're, maybe they do believe in the unicorns and, 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 and lollipops and, and the gumdrop forest. And, and they think they're actually going to play in the spring. I don't know, but it's, <laughs> do you, uh, do you man, think it's going to happen? Look, I'm not saying I'm against it. I just look at, it, I don't it, think it's going to happen. If it gets bad and they have to cancel everybody in 86 the whole season, I pray things are good enough to play in the spring. I, I would. There's a lot of football issues with that. Like right now, we're mostly talking about virus issues, and uh, I guess what Kevin Warren says, societal issues. Um, but what does that mean by the? That's that, that was a red flag when he said societal issues because I'm like societal issues. Whatever societal issues you have now, he may have just been referring the to the virus as it affects society. But in my opinion, if you're talking about anything other than the health of the well-being of your players as it relates to them being less safe playing football, which I think if you really think about it, they're not less safe playing football, and I think everybody that says that's right. But if, if it's about anything other than that, if it's about politics, if you're weirded out because the players tried to form an alliance and, you know, this is about amateurism, uh, if this is even about, the, you know, the current social justice climate, all of those things have nothing to do with playing football or not, if that's what he meant by societal issues. I mean, I have no idea. Um, 
So, you know, that's the deal. I, so I, you know, I, I think that's uh, when you get right down to it, you know, maybe the societal issues take care of, of themselves by the spring. And I pray it's spring. And when you look at spring, when you look at spring too, it, it's, it's not any of those things that, that really concern you because you, you kind of think, well, maybe something happened, blah, blah, blah. Um, and when you look at all those things, you think that it's more of a football logistic thing. In other words, hey, the draft's coming up. Hey, you got the combine uh, for all your seniors. Hey, P kids are going to opt out. Hey, what do you do with guys that enroll midterm? Do they get to play in the spring? You know, can guys redshirt? Are you going to have enough players to play? You know, in certain places like the Big Ten, you're going to be worried about the weather. Believe me. Um, you know, even with a March start, you know, you're going to have snow and things of that nature. Um you know, how are you going to handle 2021? And is it fair to make a guy, make got kids play, you know, two seasons within two calendar? Yeah. And, and, and that, that kind of thing, I've, the two That's seasons, the, the two seasons in a calendar year, though, I can, I can kind of see, you know, you need to push back 2021 and you'd move have to start in October. Yeah. Yeah. Start in October and move it on. And then it's, it's doable. I, I, I'm doable. not saying I'm against it. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, there's just so many other issues that, that, that it's just, you know, it, my feeling is that all the talk about the spring season um, is to prevent mass transfers to dangle out hope Bingo. And then eventually they're just going to cancel it as well. Not to mention to prevent an even a greater uh, outrage from the millions upon millions of Big Ten fans. You you dangled that carrot in front of them to try to alleviate their anger, disgust, uh, and downright disapproval of, of the verdict. Oh, oh no, but we, we, there's a good chance we can play in the spring. Well, I think most Big Ten fans are not buying that. Urban Meyer comes right out. You know he's got some cachet with Ohio State and the Big Ten and says, ain't happening. A number of people have said, point blank, not going to happen, coaches in particular. Uh, I think they would have some insight as to whether or not this can be pulled off, whether or not it's realistic. And so you, you, throw, you, you dangle that out there, but at the end of the day, you just got to live with your decision. You're punting on the season, um, and you're, you're doing it based on data, which you're not necessarily released. So you're speaking in platitudes and in generalities, but you're not really giving a specific piece of information that turned you from here's, here's the Big Ten releasing our schedule to 72 hours later, here's the Big Ten saying it, it's just you can't do it. It can't be done. Haven't really gotten and, – and again, I, I, maybe it's just me. Well, I know it's not just me because a number of people commented on Go watch the inter- – go YouTube the interview with Kevin Warren and Dave Revson and ask yourself what is he actually saying in that interview? Um, what, what is he coming, coming out there with? And if it is, in fact, above Kevin Warren and Larry Scott's head and it's just school presidents and they're, they're in, in essence, yes men to deliver the message, um, remember now school presidents – they're not like Supreme court judges. Like they don't get, they, they, they don't go in that chair and they got to die to get them out. Uh, they can easily be replaced. Uh, but I'd be very curious. The, the number one answer I want to get to uh, the big 10 and to a lesser extent, the PAC 12 
if you feel it's so dangerous for these football players, how in the world are you having class on campus? Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and I talked to somebody today and they're like, and this is not a, you know, a news report. This is this person's opinion. They're convinced it was just a, a, a again, it was, you know, people say, you're just playing football for money. They, they think that, that the tuition thing is a big money dump. Um, because you, you can't tell what me. What is tuition then? Yeah. What, what, I, what, why, why are we opening up classes? Uh, if we're so, could it be because most kids aren't going to spend 50 grand on a virtual indi- uh, uh, education? Yeah. Most parents aren't going to go for that. Most kids aren't going to go for that. So you know that. And, and school makes more millions than football. Okay. When you're talking about these enrollments of 50, 60,000 students and what they have to pay now for a college education, uh, you know that where that money's coming from. And you know you're risking that, losing that money if you don't have classes on campus. But all of a sudden, it's, it's safe to do that. And it's even safe to have football practice if you believe Barry Alvarez, but it's not safe to have games. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and that, you know, I've said this, man, I've said this for a long time. Um, you know, it, it's a situation where, you know, I don't know that those two things mesh. I think co- college as it exists, you know, in its current form, you know, every, every you know, every, but first thing people shut down is bars. You know, why do you think they did that? Because when people are drunk, they definitely don't socially distance. You're going up to the bar, your your hands are all over it, that type of thing. You don't think there's going to be parties in colleges and things like that. I mean, that that's just that that to me has always been what I could never square when they said, "Well, you're going to try to play football and have school." I'm like, "Well, you can't keep your players in a bubble." Thankfully, you know, Nick Saban said it right. He was like. You know, you guys want to sit here and talk about what well, we're talking about. Well, should we have football? Well, you need to be asking if we should have school because right. that's what's going to do the whole thing. So you that's know said it right. That's Trevor the Lawrence. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence was all over this. Uh, Trevor Lawrence pointed out which uh, things that were obvious to what we've been talking about on this podcast, but clearly not obvious to some of the decision makers. And that is, what do you think is going to happen when you take away football from these from these young men? Many of them are going to go back to environments that they already contracted the virus in the first place. And they're not going to have access to testing and they're not going to have access to doctors. You're not making them safer by taking away football. I mean, I mean, what data do you, do you understand what these, these kids are not locked in a room in a vault because you take away football. They're going to do what we all did when we were 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. We're not just going to stay in the basement. That's not what college-age kids do, whether they're on campus or off campus. Football has the structure where they are so occupied that they don't have a a ton of free time to do some of the things that your average 19- to 22-year-old does. You take that away from them. That is why there was this outcry from so many players, regardless of socioeconomic backgrounds. Regardless of it wasn't all just about, hey, we love playing football and we just don't want to miss out on football. A lot of it was true concern. You had other players saying, man, I don't want to go back home. I know there's nothing there for me. I don't want to do it. It's dangerous back home. (sighs) Again, that goes against the narrative that these kids are exploited and they're in these terrible (laughs) conditions. And so so that doesn't that doesn't go well. 
anyway, um, I, I thought Trevor Lawrence for a kid that doesn't need, honestly, he doesn't need college football. He could be the number one pick in the draft regardless. And he's the one that's fighting and starting a movement to do all this. Uh, kudos to him. All right. So let's get off that for a second. Mm-hmm. Let's assume, and again, it is not in writing. I know this for a fact for the people I've spoken to, there still could be something that happens between now and September the 26th for the SEC and earlier than that for uh, the other leagues. By the way, the Big 12 has announced their, their first game is going to be the at-a-conference game, then nine conference games in a row. We already know the ACC and the SEC schedules. But let's just assume football does take place for those three leagues. How detrimental is this for the Big Ten and the Pac-12, at least in the short term? For the Pac-12? For the Big Ten and the Pac-12. It's very detrimental. I mean, if you think about it, you know, you look at it and recruiting is going to take a big hit because they're going to look at uh, guys that want a ball. You know, and, and and I think this is this is where programs like Ohio State and Michigan have a have a solid on Nebraska have a solid argument. You know, and, and not that the other schools don't care about football. You know, Iowa, everybody in the Big Ten just about care. Outside of maybe what Indiana, they're more of a basketball school. And they're coming off a good year. Yeah, I mean, you know, they they've, they they get they, they, there's you know. Maybe Illinois, although Illinois is more like Kentucky in the sense that they they prefer to support basketball and they support basketball really, really good, but they show up for football. I mean, that's what's unfortunate because, you know, you're going as a coach in this league, in the Big Ten, you're going to have problems, you know, going into the South and and certain and out West and certain other talent pockets, which you have to do. Um which Ohio State's been masterful doing under Urban Meyer and now Ryan Day and convince those kids that you care about football. You know, well, why did you cancel the season? You know, I mean, you know, let's say the other conferences catch a lucky break. There's, you know, very few postponements. They get through the season. They play a playoff, crown a champion, and then the spring spring play is either untenable or, you know, they're half the players are there and it's not a very good product or whatever. It seems kind of lame. Well, which I don't think it will, but it may be, you know, and, and, and you got bad optics all the way around and everybody's like, well, why did you cancel? Um, and so I think that hurts. That hurts, especially the big programs. I mean, you know, Jeff Brom at Purdue, he's going to go find Rondell White or more, sorry, Rondell Moore. Um, and evaluate and run his offense and do his thing. Indiana's going to go find players and do their thing. You know, I don't know what's going to happen at Michigan State. I don't know what kind of hire they ultimately made. But, you know, you're going to have p- programs that, that you know, are going to be shielded from it because they, they don't really, from a recruiting standpoint, they have to go kind of bob and weave and evaluate and find guys anyway. But for your Ohio States of the world, who they're not looking for, to win, win Big Ten championships. You know, that's not like it's great, but they're looking to win national championships. When they, Urban Meyer and Ryan Day have put this roster together, they were, they had like, you know, they've beaten Michigan plenty of times that they're, they have their eye on Alabama and Clemson and teams like that. 
and they're and quite frankly, they were good enough to take it the whole distance this time. Um, and that's going to make it hard for a, a pro Ohio State. Does really they're very competitive with players down south, very competitive going into Texas and Florida and places like that to get speed. And now, you know, all you got to do if, if you're the Gators. Uh, and, and you, you know, you get recruiting against Ohio State, and you're like, well, yeah, you may go up there, and the next time somebody gets sick, and there, there's something that happens, they're going to cancel the season on you. They don't care about football. And that's hard to overcome. Um, and so for that, and that's the that's just the Big Ten. The Pac-12, Mike, we've talked about that conference over and over again, and this just further erodes their relevance um, I don't know if I, I mean, one of the guys that works for Pac-12 Networks just gets fired today out of the blue. That was a big shock, right? That thing's a mess. There's not going to be any revenue coming in. I don't know that there's going to be any appetite for any of the top players out West to stay home unless they just are. You know, the people I feel bad for here are like a Mario Cristobal, who's been out there working to build Oregon back into a national power. Now they're going to be canceled. So, again, it's going to be hard to convince a kid from back East to fly over 20 programs that are playing to come to the Pacific Northwest. You know, it's going to be hard to keep, and this has been happening anyway, your top players from California hemorrhaging East um, now, especially now that, you know, you're sending a message that, hey, well, we, don't, we don't really care about football. And that is, and I say that, you know, with the thing, you know, with, with the understanding that that's only if the other three get it off the ground and, and get it going. Well, I, yeah, exactly. I mean, all this is, is based on that premise. I, I think one of the key things that we're, we're waiting on now, because as I mentioned before, Mark Emmert has little to do with any of this, but the NCAA is still, you know, they, they still are kind of your local police department when it comes to uh, certain rules and regulations. And what we're waiting on now <laughs> this is going to be a landmark decision. Whether the, the NCAA has been extremely liberal of late of allowing kids to transfer without sitting out a year. I mean, it's, it's I don't know, nine out of ten? I, mean, I can't remember the last prominent player that was told, no, you got to sit out. Yeah. They, they've, been, they've been transferring one after the – and the NCAA has got a million other things to worry about, quite frankly. They can't sit there and really uh, – give a whole lot of time to this. And I, I don't think they want to be an obstacle. Um, so, but, but this decision is not your typical decision anymore. You, you could open up the floodgates. If you allowed big 10 and PAC 12 players to transfer now without sitting out a year, that's huge. And that's, you can't even overstate that how big that would be now for the Justin Fields of the world, the Trevor Lawrence's of the world. Again, they got plenty of tape. Okay. They're going top 10. They don't need to transfer. And I don't think they will. Now people say, well, that Justin Fields going back to Jordan. Justin Fields loves him some Ryan day. Mm-hmm. And Ryan day is a big reason why uh, not only he, but previous quarterbacks have shined at the big time college football level. He probably rather, spend an off season sitting with Ryan day in a film room, working out and, and doing that. He's going to be all right. Trevor Lawrence, same thing. I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to change a, a legacy at Clemson that includes a national championship 
uh, he's going to transfer and go to, well, of course, Trevor Lawrence wouldn't cancel under the, that under that scenario. But just hypothetically speaking, if somehow the ACC shut down, uh, but but for your kid that that's not on a draft board right now, and it's his say junior year, yeah. If you're going to let me leave, as opposed to just sitting out an entire year, I'm gone. Yeah, and that's that's opening up another can of worms too, Mike. Because some of these schools that are still playing, you know, there there still are scholarship limits, and so correct, they're not. A lot of them may not have the room. I mean, yeah, I think there's a little wiggle room at certain places, but right, you know, if you're looking at mass exoduses, and if you're talking about the types of guys you're talking about, which are very, you know, there are plenty of them across the entire, you know, Big Ten and Pac-12. I mean, they're they're probably you know, each school that's still standing in, in the power the power three now, if you will, could probably, you know, legitimately go and get t- – if they had ten scholarships to give, mm-hmm. pick, pick and choose ten guys from across the whole Big Ten and Pac-12. Right. And, and those guys can really come in and help their football team. That's what I'm saying because, I mean, we know the, num- the, the, the limit is 85, but how many yeah. kids are actually oper- – how many, how many programs are actually operating at the maximum 85 as we speak today? Yeah, they're, they're, they'll have a little room. It's most of the time around this time of year, it's up to about eighty to eighty-one. Mm-hmm. You know, so you will have some room, but uh, you know, it, it it couldn't be a situation where half the roster transfers somewhere. You know, you'd probably have to be pretty selective, right? Um, you know, and all that. Right. Uh, agreed. And and of course, I'm just talking short term. Yeah. If you want to go beyond this this immediate cycle if you will for the upcoming season you're going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of young men that that have a bitter taste in their mouth about the whole thing and they're going to just want to get out of dodge uh, the the, for the closest moment that they can if that if that means 2021 that means 2021 mm-hmm. unless I mean, you buy into the fact that there's definitely going to be a spring football season well and you think about the big 10 and the rosters that in, in the pac-12 as well you know those you know, the Pac-12 does a, gets a lot of kids out of California if you're not a California school, but they also go elsewhere. Um, the Big Ten, you know, they Ohio's probably the predominant state that sends players to the schools, but they have to go south, and they have to. So you have kids that are for, for pretty far away, you know, on rosters at both places that are pretty doggone good that, that may just assume, say, well, I'm not sitting up here and, you know, freezing – uh, well, I could go back to Texas or wherever and play, you know, or I, I don't need to be way out here in the West where I can go here and play. So that's going to be something interesting that, you know, they're going to have to solve. And I think that's a, that's one thing that the coaches of the big 10 and Pac 12 were so worried about, you know, is because, Hey, you know, look, you know, especially if you're Ohio state, I mean, you've got a lot of good players, you know, and, and, and from a lot of different places, and you stand to lose a lot if if you don't have a so so that's um that's there's certainly something, and I was on the radio earlier today in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and I was asked about this. You know, some people think maybe the NCA would pass some emergency legislation on it or something. I don't know. I, I think it's more likely to go the other way, and they let guys transfer out, and it'll be interesting to see how that all unfolds. By the way, and I'm not trying to turn this into a conference debate now of all times because I don't get into conference debates to begin with and quite frankly some things aren't even that debatable but um for those that wonder if you could move on with a college football playoff with only three of the five power leagues got a little stat for you 
little factoid. You ready for this? Mm -hmm. The last, let me make sure I got the number right here because I'm, I'm dialing this up as we speak in the, the Zoom world that we live in. The last five years in the college football playoff, every conference outside the SEC and the ACC, zero and nine. That's zero wins and nine losses. Mm. So if you want to say, if we play this through and everything goes the way uh, it's intention to go right now, SEC, ACC, Big 12, American, Sunbelt, still waiting on what Conference USA is going to do, not that it really matters in the big scheme of things. Uh, that's your national title. I mean, that's, that's a legitimate call. You can, you can want it. You can put a college, you can put an asterisk by it, but uh, I mean, it's, it's going to count. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, a four team playoff, um, you know, you, you want to have some fun and include the American this year. I'm not in for that favor of that. I think probably the, you know, maybe the AC since Notre Dame's in the ACC this year, the runner up or the big 12. I mean, you could have the same old, same old, it could be Clemson, Alabama, Notre Dame and, and Oklahoma. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's just, uh, you can still have that. that oh, that. really? The only person we'd be missing is Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's it, the same party. Same, same party. You, <laughs> you could have the same deal this year. So, I, and I think, too, Bullsby said something today about like that. He said, that's a long way off, but he says, I don't see why we couldn't have a playoff. And, and, and you know, let let the other two have the, maybe they can play the, the granddaddy of them all, Mike, next March. Um, yeah, and, and we'll have split national champions like we used to back in the yeah. days. Yeah, well, that's all we need. And look, I t I take I, I'm saying this uh, with a little bit of humor, uh, although I do believe absolutely we should have a playoff uh, and 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 play it out just as if we normally would. But I, I hate to see it. Look, I I absolutely hate to see that we don't have all. Uh, you know, 130 Division One teams playing. Uh, it, it, it's it's unfortunate. We haven't even talked about. I mean, how many people get hurt and all that. Um, we are in a situation now. Best case scenario, games involving FBS teams. We're going to go from 838 to 393. Less than half of the games that were on the schedule are going to be played. That's not good for anybody. I, I hate it. Um, and, and unfortunately, uh, you know, they didn't, they didn't ask me uh, in the decision-making process. Oh, by the way, 1,105 players entered the transfer portal in 2019. You can only imagine what that number is going to be if things continue to go the way they are. So that's where we are, and that's where everything stands. And it, like I said, this is – a week that is going to be uh, memorable in more ways than one. It's going to be something that I think is going to uh, shape the sport in some, some ways bad, some ways good. Uh, but if, if this all continues out the way, it, the way it is, the way it's, again, slated to right now, it's mammoth. I don't think you can overstate that. Uh, I just hope, like all of us, fingers crossed, that we'll continue to get good news and the decision makers will uh, use uh, not just data, but a little bit of common sense in the whole process as well.
Yeah, I mean, man, we should be sitting here right now talking about, you know, the injury news that, that ultimately come out of fall camp because it's, it's the 12th and we'd be about one day, you know, one one segment of fall camp in where, you know, schools are getting ready, getting ready to start classes back and have scrimmages and, you know, maybe some preseason injuries, some depth chart moves. We, I wish we were talking about that rather than this, but, you know, hey, at least we're smart enough to talk about it. I mean, if I was really smart, I would uh, I'd become the, the chairman of the WTA and eventually become a conference commissioner. But I'd I make four million dollars a year. <laughs> Jeez. I knew I should have been more involved in women's tennis. I knew it. Uh, I was inv- I was involved in women's tennis at one point, but not like you'd think. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, that's a scandal that'll be unveiled at another time. You got Absolutely. anything else to say before we say goodbye here? Man, just looking forward to next week. And um, I, may, I think next week we'll probably have an ACC schedule in order to kind of break down because they're kind of the last one that we know the opponents now, but we don't know the order of it. So we can talk a little bit about that. And if things haven't been canceled yet, we could kind of uh, maybe, uh, you know, start getting into some matchups and stuff like that. I tell you, we, we've talked about all the, the historic criticism that's going to potentially come the way of a few human beings in control. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if this thing does work out, if there's a Mount Rushmore of college football, uh, Greg Sankey, John Swafford, Bob Bowlesby, you, you, you got a place on it, my friends. Got to put them up there. Got to put them up there for sure. You're not just saving a season for fans. That it does mean a lot. And I don't mean, to, I don't mean to understate that because by God, there's a lot of people dealing with depression and just mental anguish right now through all this college football is more than just like a convenient distraction. It, it's huge for a lot of people, but financially, mm-hmm. uh, there are going to be so many people fired in so many walks of life. If this business, if you want to call it, that is completely shut down. So I applaud those three conference commissioners. I applaud the school presidents behind them. Um, who else am I missing? I guess that's about it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to applaud anybody else that does what they need to yeah. to secure a college football season in 2020. And like I said earlier, man, you know, you you, you throw some uh, some you throw something out there at me other than there's overwhelming evidence of of tons of unknowns. I mean. <sighs> Come on, man. You know, you, you got to give me – if it's truly dangerous and, you know, you can prove that it, that it is, you know, and because and, and people say, well, you, can, you can't prove that it's not dangerous. Well, you can't prove that it's not dangerous at all because it's a dangerous sport, okay? If you tell me that somebody's going to die or have long-term health issues simply by playing football – uh, and having COVID-19, those two combinations of things, not that COVID-19 causes this, not, not that, oh, they may do this, not, don't throw some known things at me because we've known uh, about the, uh, the myocarditis for, for a while. Plenty of people have written about this. They wrote about it when the NBA had their bubble, okay? This has been known. Um. You know, then I'll, I'll be the first to say, hey, don't play. 
because it's not worth one life. You know, we can't go and play football and sacrifice somebody to die. I have to disagree with Lou Holtz, who compared it to the storming of Normandy. But, you know, as long as we're still good, uh, and I have no, you know, no reason to believe as a highly intelligent individual who can read and comprehend that we aren't, um, and I do read more than 140 characters on Twitter, um, then I'm saying, you know, stay strong, protect the players. You know, I think the key is just going to be to keep them safe and keep them healthy. So you can play, not that you can't play to keep, so, so you can't play so you can keep them safe and healthy. To me, that makes no sense. Well, I'll just end on this note. Uh, the NBA has been going off without a hitch. MLB has had hiccups, but they're still going on and they're going to keep playing. MLS has gone on and keep playing. Golf has gone on. NASCAR has gone on. The NFL is going to go on. The NHL is going on. Um, I realize those are all pro sports, but we all know there's the cat is out of the bag. If it wasn't already, there's a lot of money in college football. Uh, All those sports had the money and used it to make it a safe environment, to make it go uh, off. Uh, there's no reason to me why co- college football can't do the same. So we shall see. JC enjoyed it. Hopefully we'll have more good news, less bad news to talk about next week. One thing we know for sure, there will be news in this uh, most entertaining and busiest of college football all seasons of all time.